Before I uh, introduce our first speaker, uh, please lower your or shut off your uh, phones or pagers to run silently, and we ask that you uh, give your undivided attention to our speakers, who will be most courteous. And I would first like to introduce Kim as our first speaker. Hi, everyone. I'm, my name is Kim, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. Oh, I'm very happy to be here with you. And um, I just want to start, I'm, I'm probably going to start me off on an emotional path, but I just want to read as a reminder uh, this this little um, part of the big book that we're sort of here to talk about, and that is Trudging the Road of Happy Destiny. Our book is meant to be subjective only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you shall surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Um, I think that when I when I hear this passage, the thing that makes me so um, touched is just how dramatically our lives change in this program. Um, I came into OA in July of 2001, so I'm celebrating my third year um, in this program. I came in at 215 pounds. I have lost 75 pounds, and I have kept it off for the last three years. And that's that's thanks to um, a lot of help that I've gotten in this program so that I could live a life differently than I used to live. Um, When I came into program, my life really pretty much consisted of sitting in front of the TV with food. 75 pounds heavier than I am today. It was really a lonely life. I had, there were people in my life, but really that's what I was, that's what I would look forward to, was being by myself in front of the TV with food. that doesn't mean I wasn't accomplished. I was accomplished in my work, but my personal life was really that's what it was. Um, and so the last two years have been about changing the way I live in addition to the way I eat. <laughs> changing to the way the way I eat was the first step for me. It was, and I worked, um, when I came into this program, I had was able to see that my behavior with food was insane. I, I, I was fortunate in that I came in after sitting in my chair in front of the TV on my fourth piece of toast with something else on top that I didn't even want, that what I was doing was insane. I was making myself fatter. I was eating stuff I didn't want to eat. I was isolating. I, I got it. And um, I, I realized and really got how unhappy I was. Um, so what happened when I came into program was I was um, 
I was lucky, I guess. I came to a meeting where I really did hear other people that understood that that lifestyle was something they could identify with. And um, I was willing to start following the steps that were recommended to me. Um, so I was willing to start with a pretty simple food plan and um, within a period of time I was willing to start letting go of foods that started to, that I knew made me crazy. Um, and then I was willing to follow my sponsor's guidance and um, start doing step work. And um, I guess there are two things that have really struck me today, either in what's happened today and being in this, in this convention and the uh, meeting I was just in, or life, you know, in recovery. Um, I, I feel like we are, you know, we really are perfectly perfect beings. You know, God put us on this, in this planet as different individuals, but in essence, we're all spiritually perfect. And there's something about our essence or our personalities that block us from being perfect. And that recovery is about learning how to not block. You know, recovery is about learning how to not sabotage ourselves. And in this, my experience is that I would sabotage myself with food, you know. And food wouldn't help me numb out so that I couldn't see that I was, you know, perfectly spiritual being that God has put on this planet. And what's happened through recovery is that little by little I'm getting a greater inkling that underneath all of our facades is this, you know, spiritual essence that is perfectly okay. And if I can just allow it to flow, then my life will be really good. And I'll be able to connect with other spiritual perfection, and that will be a, a treasure. Um, so, so the trudging in the road of happy destiny is sort of this combination of knowing that that spiritual world, that spiritual perfection of each of us is below the surface and the trudging is trying to allow it to be, just to, trying to allow it to be. Um, one, of the, one of the treasures that has happened to me in the last two years, and I, you know, I look back and two years is not a long period of time, but in two years, What's changed in my life is astounding. I no longer sit in front of the TV. In fact, it's really rare that I actually watch TV. That's for me. That was one of those things that every year I put on my, you know, yearly to-do list. I wanted to let go of TV. Oh no, I could never do it because it was my life. It was my friend. Um, I have lost 75 pounds and I've kept it off, plus or minus, you know, a few pounds from time to time. I have um, opened my heart to doing service, which for me has allowed me to connect with people in ways I never connected with people before. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. I have um, left a career that I have been in for many years and I opened my heart to doing new work. I have been willing to leave a relationship that wasn't working for me and I was willing with guidance from this program and people in this program not to date for a year and to just try to do programs and try to work the steps and I was willing to do that. 
And when I became willing to start dating again, I, you know, something happened that I brought a different type of person into my life who is supportive and responsive and can hear me. And I, I chose that person. That's the more amazing thing, <laughs> that I chose that person. You know, I didn't choose the person that uh, I used to choose, which would, who would basically help remind me of how I didn't feel good about myself. So in two years, and I've moved out of, I lived in San Francisco for 10 years before I got into program, and I've moved out of San Francisco. I live in Marin County now in this partnership. And in this partnership, I have a stepdaughter. So I have totally transformed my life. And um, I'm not looking for perfection. My life is not perfect. I have difficulties come through in my life. The difference is that I'm not expecting perfection. That's a big difference. I used to, you know, that's what I expected before. Why isn't it the way I want it to be? Why isn't it just the way I want it to be? It should be the way I want it. It should be the way I want it. <laughs> and you know what? I'm just glad to have enough of an open heart that I can accept things in that God wants. Because, you know what, there's so much better than what I wanted for myself. I wanted to sit in front of the TV with junk food. That's not a very big goal, you know. So, um, I'm, my job is to keep an open heart, to know and to ask for God's guidance. And Spirit's guidance, I usually use the word spirit for me, that feels truer. Um, that I, you know, that I have the right words, that I have the right intention, that I have an open heart and that I can stay present. And that I can just, and the biggest thing is that I can just let myself sit in that unknown and know, and have faith and know that I'll be okay, whatever comes my way. This, this is such a leap. This is such a leap. You know, I couldn't, I, I, the way I used to think of myself was a person who would hold on, you know, I, I used to think of myself as running in place real fast holding on <laughs> and that's what life felt like to me but that was what I was trying to control my life and that's what it felt like and um, I'm nowhere near halfway through this part of the journey but what I try to do now is just float you know sometimes the image is I'm on a surfboard and I'm riding the waves and sometimes the waves are really huge and sometimes they aren't but I'm just going to try and float through this and a lot of times I have to float through the emotions that are the most joyful you know, those for me are the, actually the harder things right now, to, and I recognize it, and it sort of goes with the comment I made earlier about that we're all spirit per- perfection and that we just, our personalities hide that perfection. Um, I have a difficulty letting abundance into my life, and I have a sponsor in another program, actually, right now, who's telling me, Kim, would you just look at what you're doing right? Look at what you're doing right. You know, because my mind, my attic mind, tells me about all the things that aren't right. This food plan could be better. This choice could be better. This could be done. Everything could be better. The truth is that everything is perfectly fine for where I am right now and what I can handle right now. And um, having the, the choice to look at what is what I'm doing right is about not putting perfection at the forefront of my goals. Um, oh. So, treading the road of happy destiny is 
Right now, for me, it's having a stepdaughter who's 13 and who's turning into a lovely young woman, teenager, who can all she can think about is boys, and she's got her outfit on, and she's, you know, looking at herself in the mirror, and she's feeling really happy, and the music's really loud, and, you know, sometimes I just want to be quiet. And I have to, you know, sometimes I have to find quiet, and sometimes I have to put it aside and say, you know, in this moment, right now, I want to be with this little girl. It's such a gift. It's such a phenomenal gift. Two years ago, to think I would have a child in my life is just, I would never have been able to figure that. That just wouldn't have been possible. And I have a child in my life who's really super, who's accepted me into her life, and, uh, you know, the gifts just get bigger. So back to this comment of being able to accept abundance. Trudging the road of happy destiny for me right now is being able to open my heart to more and more abundance and to know that I will be okay. I won't be overpowered by that powerful feeling and that I'll be enough. You know, a lot of what I know my illness has been through my life has been thinking that I'm not enough. I won't be enough. I'm not enough to the task. I'm not enough to the relationship. I'm not enough to myself. You know, these are the messages that I put in my mind, and I think they are the messages that really are part of my addict mind. And um, my job right now is to just to try to open my heart to the possibility that I am enough for what I need right now. And I'm enough for, for my daughter right now, and I'm enough for my partner. And that... You know, when I need to be more, that I'll be more. <laughs> and um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an astounding uh, journey that we're on. Uh, I uh, am becoming part of the club that says, you know, I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. Because I don't think I would have been on this journey without this illness. I needed this illness to be able to go through the steps to um, live differently and to have this bigger life, and it's such a bigger life. Um, I pray for abundance. I pray for abundance. I try not to pray for any specific thing, but that I can be open-hearted to whatever God wants to put into my life as abundance. And... um, I, get, I want to come back to the subject of service because what I'm what I'm really getting, you know, in year three now of being in this program is, you know, year one you lose the weight, you feel good, you buy the clothes, you sort of, you know, walk around, you feel like you're, you know, hot stuff, and year two it's like, well, not quite as exciting. Year three it's not really that exciting. It's more like, oh gosh, I don't want to lose this, but you know, in order to keep this recovery, I have to. I, it's not about the weight, you know. It's sort of like um, I remember feeling sort of cocky, like, well, I know what I'm doing now. And as soon as you get that cockiness, I guarantee you're going to gain at least five pounds, <laughs> probably really quickly. And um, uh, what I know now is that uh, in order to stay in recovery, I have to do service. And, you know, um, moving out of San Francisco has been a very big challenge for me, leaving all the meetings and the people that I know and love and recognized every week in meetings that were my safety net. It's been a big, big adjustment, and I, um, 
have been resistant in many ways to adopting my new community. It's only now after about a year that I can really feel the willingness in my heart to make this my home. Um, but maybe part of the trudging is recognizing really in my core being that if I don't do service, I will lose I will lose my recovery. I will lose my abstinence. I really am getting that really clearly right now that, you know, service, whether it's having sponsees or working at an intergroup level or working in a meeting and probably a combination of all of the above or being here today is um, fundamental to me remembering that I'm a compulsive eater and that as a compulsive overeater, that I will go back there tomorrow if I ever forget that truth. And um, so it's interesting because we're um, in some fellowships. I know it can be communities. It can be hard to find a sponsor. It can be hard to find the support you need. And what I know is um, doing service has really accelerated my recovery. So treasuring the happy road of destiny in part is doing things sometimes that you don't want to do. You know, don't always want to do service. Don't always want to commit to a meeting every week for, you know, six months. But you know what? It's for your good. It's for my good to do it because if I commit to it, then I'm going to be there and I'm going to hear what I need to make sure that I keep my sanity um, in life um, and that when I'm feeling like I can't deal with the abundance coming into my life, isn't it ironic that it should be abundance that would, you know, send me out of the program, um, that I have a person that I can talk to after the meeting, that I have a newcomer who walks up to a literature table that I can talk to that reminds me um, of just how fragile this path is. So, um, so right now, I guess in my heart, it, trudging the happy road of destiny is about doing the things the big book tells us to do, using the tools, saying the truth, even when it's hard, you know, talking about when our food is getting difficult, um, knowing that, you know, as soon as some emotional thing happens to me, um, that food's going to come up in my mind as the solution and knowing that it's not the solution and that reaching out with a tool or with uh, reading or a phone call is the solution. So I'm, I think with that, I would like to say thank you and also to um, tell you I'm grateful to all of you. It's been helpful to me, and you're all helpful to me being here today. Thank you, Kim. Next, I'd like to introduce uh, Nick. <laughs> so, the air conditioning is right, and I need a nap. Anyways, uh, my name is Nick. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm from San Francisco. And uh, I was asked to do service, and I'm, I'm grateful to do service because I have a lot. Uh, um, that OA has given to me, so um, here I am speaking, and I'm a little nervous, but I'll be all right. God is with me. <laughs> so when I think about trudging the road, um, I I look at it as like trudging through fear, because fear is what brought me to Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, 
so much of my life was about fear before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater until I came here. I thought I was just a fat person, and I tried to lose weight, and I did lose weight, and I and I kept it off for a little while, and then I gained it back, and I gained more weight, and I went through those ups and downs for many years, and I felt so defeated, and. At the end of that, I came to a point in my life where I accepted myself that I would be fat, and that was it, and that there's skinny people, there's normal people, and there's fat people, and that's just the way the world is, and I'm stuck being a fat person. And I hated that, and I felt defeated. Um, shortly after feeling that and accepting that, maybe there was something inside of me that God was saying, like, okay, you got to just accept it and try to deal with it, or find a solution to this because I knew diet pills weren't the solution. I knew um, other diets didn't work for me. They worked for some people, they didn't work for me. Um, I found my way into Overeaters Anonymous and uh, I was so grateful when I saw a man that spoke and said that he had lost over 100 pounds and he kept it off for like six years and that he was married happily, had a dog a house and a job, <laughs> and he had all these things that I wanted in life, you know, and uh, the most important thing that he had that I wanted was to be able to lose 100 pounds and keep it off for a long period of time, and I didn't know anything about this program then, but I saw something in that man, and when he shared, was that he had some kind of serenity around food, you know, and I didn't know that was the word I was thinking of then. I, I just knew that there was something about, like, if you could lose 100 pounds and keep it off for over six years, there's something about that, and that's what made me stay here. And uh, um, that was over four and a half years ago. I have four and a half years of abstinence today. Um, I have over about 120 pounds of weight loss because of over I'm 32 years old. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I got a lot of gifts out of this program. You know, I have God in my life today, and to me, my higher power is just God. That's what I call my higher power. And uh, when I came to this program, I was full, full, full of fear. And I didn't know that that's what was making me eat, you know, and that's what got me over into the 300-pound club, you know. And, and when I... Before I hit 300, I was like, okay, when I hit 300, like this was before I came to the program, you know, when I hit 300, I'm going to do something about it. And I tried, and that just got me to 340 pounds, you know. And that's the best that I could do on my own without God and OA and a sponsor. So I came into program willing, you know. I was desperate. I see people that come in, and, and sometimes they come and they leave. It's not for them, and that's fine. But when I came in, I was desperate, and I wanted a solution, and I was willing. And when I got a sponsor, I just did what he said, you know, and, and I'm grateful today that I did that. So, you know, I have 120 pounds of weight loss, and to me, to keep that off, you know, it took me about a year. So I have four and a half years of abstinence. I've been keeping that weight, maintaining the weight about three and a half years now. And to me, that says a lot, you know. I never would believe that I could do that even for a year or six months, you know. So that's that's a gift of the program. And so I look at how is it trudging? How, how can this be trudging? You know, I'm supposed to be happy and grateful, which I am. And I have a lot of happiness and good things in my life. 
But this is how I look at it. Trudging is going through the fear without eating over it, you know? And uh, that's a scary thing. And in my program, it's not just eating. You know, I, I can't drink. I can't, um, um, I don't do drugs, you know. I just look at it from my point of view as, like, I can't have a spiritual connection with God if I'm doing anything like that that's going to, you know, zone me out or numb me out. So, um, you know, my favorite way of numbing out, obviously, is to eat, you know, and I can't do that. And when fear comes into my life, Today, I can't eat, you know, and that's scary because that means I have to feel the feelings. I hear people say that all the time, and that's what trudging the road is. It's actually, for me, it's feeling the feelings. And as a compulsive overeater, I don't want to feel fear, you know, because fear is scary as hell to me. And uh, my, my worst fears, like one of them is being alone and lonely. For me, that's one of my greatest fears. Um, for me to just not have someone I love in my life or have a partner in my life is the scariest thing. Um, I spent a lot of my life without having a girlfriend, and um, you know, and, and I started dating a lot. I was I was in a relationship, and it was great, and it ended. You know, um, there was a reason why it ended. It just ended, and I was in a great relationship with a beautiful woman, and you know, I wish her the best and. And I wish myself the best because, like, you know, for me to actually be honest with someone and, and uh, you know, and, and, and just break up with someone or someone break up with me or just a relation ending, you know, that's a scary thing, you know, because, like, there's something inside of me that says, like, don't ever break up with anyone. As soon as anyone attaches onto you or you attach to them, stay there forever because you'll never find anyone that loves you. <laughs> And that's what my fear tells me, you know. My fear tells me that I'm not good enough, you know. I'm not good enough to get this job. I'm not good enough to have that girlfriend. I'm not good enough to come and speak at, you know, at a workshop in front of other people. So that's all fear. My whole life was run by fear, you know. Now I still experience fear. And the only way I could deal with fear to this day right now is by writing a 10-step and working a spiritual program. So, to me, it's all about a spiritual solution, and that's what I was taught by my sponsor and, and all my friends and fellowship, um, is that the solution to dealing with my fears and my compulsive overeating is a spiritual solution. And after going through the step work of one through nine and writing ten steps and, and praying and meditating and having conscious contact with God in the eleventh step, and then carrying the message, sponsoring people, coming and speaking at meetings. That's all spiritual stuff, you know. I was talking to a newcomer last night, and uh, he was a mirror image of me, stopping at fast food places and eating hamburgers at one place and tacos at another and french fries at another. And I did that stuff. I did that for a long time. You know, you can't get to, you know, over 300, 340 pounds without eating a lot of food, and I ate a lot of food, you know. Today I eat three times a day, nothing in between. I don't eat sugar, and I don't eat other things, but the main thing I don't eat is sugar. Um, so I was talking to a newcomer last night, and I remember as a newcomer as well, like his main concern was, what do you eat? What do you eat? You know, that's all he wanted to know was about the food. And, and I kept trying to tell him, like, you know, you have to stay absent. You have to go on a food plan. 
But the most important thing, I mean, it's obviously staying absent is the most important thing, but also you have to work the steps because to me, in my experience, like, I could never keep off the weight and keep it off for this amount of time without doing the step work. I, I really believe that I would gain it all back plus a lot more. I'd be in the 400-pound club right now, you know, or 500 easily. So charging the road is doing the step work. When I first came to the program, I saw the steps, and I knew when I came in and I saw those steps, I was like, I don't think this is going to work for me. This program will not work for me. Because I had a secret, and I never told anyone. I had one secret, at least, that I never told anyone, and I was full of fear about it. And I saw that fourth step, and I saw that fifth step, and that meant I had to tell someone, you know, my secret. And I knew that I'd have to tell someone because I knew I knew two things. One thing was this program wasn't going to work for me, and the other thing was if this program was going to work for me, I'd have to be 100% honest about who I was doing these steps. So, obviously, somehow, I talked to someone, and he said, don't worry about step four. Just do step one. By the time you get there, things will change. And it did change, because I had a sponsor. I developed a relationship with him. He's a, he's a great person in my life, even to this day, you know. And uh, I, I began to trust him, and I knew, and I could relate to him. And I knew that when I told him that fifth step, my, you know, read him my fourth step, that I could trust them no matter what. And I read it to him, and I read every single thing about who I was as a person, which I never did to any therapist or anyone in my life. And I gave it to my sponsor, and that's trudging the road, because I was abstinent at that time for, I don't know how long I was, it was maybe in my first year, like six or nine months abstinent. And I gave away my fourth step to my sponsor, and after that, immediately, I felt a relief. I felt something shift in my life. That was a spiritual shift for me. And I stayed abstinent through that, and it was like the white-knuckle abstinent where I was like, well, I'm just going to stick to this food plan. I'm not going to eat outside of the boundaries. I'm not going to eat sugar and this and that. And I stayed abstinent, and I gave away that fourth step. And I thought, like, if I was going to stay abstinent, it's always going to be a struggle. But when I gave away that fourth step, you know, it was like, whoa, something happened. And I didn't know at that point, but I felt it inside of me, something changed, you know, because I told someone the truth about who I was, and he didn't judge me and say, you're a bad person. He related to me and talked about his experience and accepted me and loved me. And that was a huge shift for me. And uh, from that point on, you know, someone told me, well, that was a spiritual experience that you experienced. That's where you got that shift in your life. And that's where I had serenity around food after that time. And then I went to the ninth step where you have to make amends. You know? And I saw that ninth step and I was scared as hell because there was one person in my life that I had to make amends to. And it was really scary. I, I didn't think I could do it. And somehow God put this person on my path and that was the first amends that I made. And it was just like, whoa. you know. And it was the greatest experience in my life because... I, you know, when you hear someone says, like, I did so-and-so thing or whatever, and I felt like if I died, I, it would be okay because I lived my life to the fullest or whatever. Well, after I made that amends to that person, I felt that experience, like, it doesn't matter if I died today, I did all the right things in life. I, I, you know, I made amends, you know, for something that I was so afraid about, you know. And, and that person that I made amends to was like, it's no big deal, you know. It's no big deal. But in my head, it was the hugest deal in the world, you know. And I was eating over that. And I didn't know I was eating over that, but I was, you know. And 
So the fourth, fifth, and ninth steps are where I experienced spiritual shifts. And those were trudging the road for me. Because those are scary things for me. And to do those things and stay abstinent, that's trudging the road, you know? Because if I live my life eating ice cream or whatever and, and brownies or whatever and just saying, well, screw that, I'm not going to make amends, you know, they can go to hell or whatever, you know? <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm eating the poison, you know? Um, that's That to me is a lot easier. That's not trudging the road to me, in my opinion. That's a lot easier to go out and, and eat pizza and drink beer and, and gamble and watch the football game than to go actually do some spiritual writing and read it to a sponsor. You know, that's trudging the road. That's dealing with all my fears in a spiritual way. That's telling someone exactly who I am. It's not hiding, you know. And uh, that's a hard thing for me. I don't want to do those things all the time, you know. That's a scary thing. I was unemployed for five months. Um, in the last year, um, I, I got laid off of a job, and I was unemployed. And I, and you know, I hear, I read the newspaper, and see it on TV, and they say the economy's bad, and you know, people are getting laid off. <clears throat> and and I start feeling like, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm never going to get a job. You know, I start feeling this hopeless feeling. Thank you. I start feeling hopeless, like you know, it's not going to work out. You know, and I call my sponsor. I don't know what to do. I you know, go look for jobs, and there's nothing there. And then, you know, I get offered a job that was really low pay, and I, I tell my sponsor, and he's like, well, pray about it. You know, I'm like, shouldn't I tell you? He's like, I don't know if you should take it. Just pray about it, you know. And, you know, I want my sponsor just to tell me, tell me what to do, you know. And, you know, he says, just pray about it. So I stayed absent for those five months, and I prayed, and I worked a program around it, and I took action, you know, nothing, in my opinion, it's like nothing's going to happen if I just pray. I also have to do, do actions, and I have to take action and do things and pray about them, and then results will occur. So, uh, you know, I, I actually got offered a few jobs, and I I figured, like, you know what, this is not going to do it because it's not enough money. It's not at my level. I'm more capable. I'm capable of much more. So I passed them up. And what happened at the end of that whole process was. I got hired at a great company, a really big company, that I would never have imagined that I would work at. And I'm doing a great job, which I really love. Um, I, I work as a contract worker right now at this point. Um, my contract was up. I had a three-month contract that was over actually last week. And I was told that they'd extend it for six more months. And I, and I asked for more money, which I could never do in my old life. And I had to ask my sponsor and talk to him and pray about it. How am I going to do this? And, you know, I, I called my company. I said, you know what? I'd like more money. And I told them how much I wanted. And they're like, we have to think about it. And they called me back. And they're like, well, everyone loves you at your company. So they gave it to me, you know. So that's program right there, you know. On my own, Nick would never have accepted that job because Nick is scared and doesn't think he can do it, you know. I'm not good enough to work at this company. I'm not good enough to make that much money. You know, um, I'm making more money than I ever have made in my life. And it's not like a huge amount of money, but for me, it's a lot of money. It's the most I've ever made in my life. And, you know, I've gotten a contract extension. People at my job like me a lot. It's a great company, and I'm proud of myself. You know, I did a lot of spiritual work around that, you know. And, and for me, 
you know, if I didn't do all that spiritual work and trudge the road and stay abstinent and stick it out, you know, I'd probably be working at, you know, someplace making lattes, you know, for, <laughs> you know, not that much money an hour, you know. So what I'm saying is, is trudging the road is like, okay, whatever happens to my life that's hard, that's bad, that's scary, that's fearful, I can't go out and eat again. Because I know, I know in my heart, like, I could go out and eat, but what what's that going to do? You know, it'll give me maybe two minutes of comfort, and then it'll give me, like, ten years of guilt and shame, and it'll give me another 100, 200 pounds of weight gain, you know. And, and I still won't have the job at that point, you know. So eating is not going to work for me anymore. So i got to just deal with that fear, and the, the way to deal with the fear and trudge the road is to write a 10 step at this point in my life. Like right now, I live in steps 10, 11, and 12. You know, every every day if fear comes up, I write a 10 step. It's not every day lately. It's maybe every other day or every few days. But I write a 10 step, and I read it to my sponsor, and I give it away to him, and I give it away to God, you know. And that's like working all the steps right there. And then I pray at least twice a day. It's always usually more than that. I pray to God. I pray before each meal, you know. And that's having conscious contact with God. That's step 11, you know. And step 12, I come and, you know, carry the message. I'm speaking here, you know. I sponsor people, do all that stuff. And just, like, be grateful for the life that I have and, and try to live it as an example. You know, this is what Overeaters Anonymous did for me, you know. This is, this is what, you know, God gave me through this program because I was willing to work the steps and be honest and stay abstinent and just do what my sponsor said, you know. A lot of people, like, when I talk to newcomers, like, they want to make their own food plan or whatever. And, and I was like that, too, because I don't want someone to say, like, you can't eat that or whatever. And that's a scary thing, but it's like I wanted to lose the weight, you know, and I came here just because I wanted to lose weight. I didn't come for a spiritual program. I lost the weight, and now, like, I've gotten the spiritual stuff out of this program, the emotional recovery and spiritual recovery. So things are really good for me, you know. I'd like to just say a few things, you know, I'm grateful for just to wrap it up. I'm grateful for my job today. I'm grateful for 120 pounds of weight loss. I'm grateful for four and a half years of abstinence. I'm grateful for having God in my life and a spiritual connection with God in my life. I'm grateful for a sponsor who has recovery and he could lead me and, you know, he has, he's an example for me. I'm grateful for all the friends that I made in this program because they're all people that are in recovery. And I think people in this program are very brave because it's a scary thing, you know, to give up, um, you know, for me to give up numbing out on ice cream and watching, you know, video rentals, you know. Instead of doing that, i got to go to a meeting and <laughs> and uh, share, like, you know, this is what's going on today. You know, I'm scared about this or that or and, you know, and also try to keep it positive and say, like, you know, this is all the good things that I've gotten from OA, you know, and, and just try to, you know, give it, you know, tell a newcomer, like, hey, look, if you work this program, there's a lot of good things that can come out of it, you know. And, uh, you know, this program, there's so many people that I, I know in this program that are, are just, like, examples of how this program works, you know. They're shining examples, you know. And... uh and it's not just about the weight loss. It's about how they live their lives, you know, and and how they treat other people in their relationships and carry, you know, and they carry, by doing that, they're carrying the message of this program.
So I'm really grateful, and you know, I'm glad that I could speak here today. And thank you. Yes, you've heard the acronym, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, because I'm not good enough, so also spells binge. Huh? So our last speaker is Eddie. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Eddie. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. I'd like to ask everybody to stand just for a moment, please. And on page 8 of our little books, I'd like to, we could all say the OA promise, which is, if you'll recall, is uh, Roseanne's prayer. If you could just reach out to touch the person next to you. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Coming back Thank you very much, and I believe that's the secret of what we have called today trudging the road of happy destiny. And I believe the bottom line is about making a decision. And I would invite each of you to consider that today, perhaps before you leave here or before you leave the convention, that you'll never leave Overeaters Anonymous. That no matter what, you'll keep coming back, no matter how pissed off you get, no matter how insulted you feel when someone says something that totally turns you off, that you'll keep coming back because here's the secret of life for those of us who are recognized and, and admitted compulsive overeaters. And um, I say that because of my own personal experience. And when I first heard this idea of trudging the road, I thought, oh, God, that sounds kind of dull. And, uh, you know, trudging sounds like a pain and whatever. And I was told that trudging in the dictionary means walking purposefully. That the question, at least as it speaks to me when I heard that, is that I need to stay awake. And that has been a constant, ongoing challenge for me as a compulsive reader because I've been used to sleeping a lot of my life. And I might point out, like when I started out, even as a child, I came from a very abusive family, and somebody said, well, why don't you just admit that? Because I used to tell sort of like, well, my father was an alcoholic, but it wasn't that bad or whatever. And they said, well, why don't you just say that it was bad, and then, you know, you won't have to do all this explaining. And uh, so it was pretty bad. There was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of craziness and everything like that, which in turn made me crazy. I mean, I'm not blaming them, but I, wanted, I want everybody to know that I'm crazy as a result of a certain life situation, which I then continued to play out. I found ways to play out being crazy. When that craziness was gone, I found work situations to be crazy about. And what my sponsor continues to say to me even today is, uh, you know, far be it from me to get in the way of your drama. If you'd like to dramatize this, you just go for it and I'm ready to roll. You know, you'll never guess what happened, what they said, what they did, you know. 
He said, oh, I think we're having a drama attack coming on, you know. So, drama is, has been part of my life, so not being uh, dramatic feels a little bit sort of like dull or something, you know. It's like, you mean we're just going to live, you know, or we're going to just enjoy things and we don't have to like, make it wild. But when I was a kid, I used to fade out. One of the ways I used to sleep was to literally leave my body. This is what I believe now in terms of like zoning out. And my older brother used to say to me, Earth to Eddie, Earth to Eddie, because they'd be talking and I wouldn't know what they were talking about, or I would catch enough of the conversation to be able to make some sort of a half-intelligent response, but never really be present. And so that followed me through life. And I would be with you, I could be with you, and we'd be sitting around or we'd be wherever, and I would half hear whatever bit the conversation was, and then I would just go off someplace. And I was asked at one point as I started my journey of recovery, where do you go? And I said, I don't know, I just know I'm out of here. So there was a whole question of not being present, which I believe is part of the way I isolated and I believe this disease is a disease of isolation. So together with being separate and isolating, then I'm also terminally unique. There is no one that's like me. None of you are like me. I've got a terminal uniqueness which puts wall after wall after wall around me. Because if you broke through one of the walls, I'll put up another one just in case. Because, well, it might be a little bit like that, but it's really not that bad. It's really what this is, is this other thing. And just put wall after wall and shield after shield up to make sure that I stay different because that's the only way I can stay safe in my head. And so, terminal uniqueness is broken down in this program by continuing to show up. And I just heard this. I just heard this recently where a person shared in a meeting, this is the first time, and I've been in this program since 1989, and as the reading talks about getting new perspectives, you know, with the turn of the road, this climbing the mountain type of thing, that's what I wanted to say, too, is that I've learned more things, more ideas each time I come back. Some ideas stays, like these conventions I love because I can sort of drink in, like for a long time, things that were said. They sort of stay with me, different phrases, like someone said, you know, in any relationship that he was involved in, he was he learned early on, never let a relationship take precedence over recovery. That the person needs to know, my recovery comes first. And I've been in relationships where people would say, well, do you have to go to all those meetings? And I would start, well, I guess I don't have to go to that many. I would, I would negotiate it out and hurt me and my recovery, which I have clarity about now, but because someone said, wait, you've got to take a stand. It's got to be clear. And so the whole thing of, of uh, identifying is really important, but it takes time and takes attention. And so if I'm not here half the time, I don't hear half of what's said. You know what I mean? It takes practice to listen and listen and listen. And this person said, they got to this place, they went to this particular place, and I don't know what it was, you know, but whatever it was had sugar-free 
Ta-da. They got one. Okay. And all of a sudden, the place where this was located became like the Taj Mahal, you know. This wonderful, golden, brilliant, light-splashing place that could draw me at any time of the day and night because whatever this was, it might be there for me. And then found themselves going back. And one of the checkpoints was, if I go back, if I need to go back, this is a sign of my illness. My illness is speaking when I need to go back just to check to see if there's any more of those, whatevers. So the person goes back. And I was fascinated as I listened to this because I could see different places in, in my life that have become like the Taj Mahal, whatever supermarket or whatever that sort of had, you know, all the beauty to it that was just the right place to stop. And person goes back and there isn't that thing. And what they started to look for was something else on the shelf that had at least one of the ingredients of that thing. And I never heard that before in my life, and I've done it forever. You know, it's like one of these things that it's the way to get around whatever. It's the way to stretch my food plan. It's the way to pull it apart a little bit. It's the way to keep on the track, but we'll just slide a little bit to the right here, and then we'll be okay. And it's a way of driving myself insane. And then going back the next time, you know, when all of a sudden I'm passing that place, and the lights begin to flash, and the gold starts to, you know, be real brilliant to go in, and then finding something else that might be somehow related to that first thing that they've never had again because, you know, the place that made them closed or whatever. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, the disease I have is a disease of incredible insanity about what can keep me asleep. And so waking up, has been a challenge because when I decided not to be present, which I believe is a personal decision somehow because it's too dangerous to live here, I also made some kind of a decision that other people should know what I'm supposed to do. Since I'm not present half the time, well, hell, I don't know what I'm doing. So somebody else ought to know. So I gave my power away like to religious authorities. My mother was one. My mother always knew, don't do that, do this, go there, come back. Why'd you say that? Shouldn't have told them. There was all these rules and regulations, and I found ways to continue to do that. I would, I would give my power away to people that I could blame them when it didn't work out. They could become the enemy when things didn't work out okay. But it became a pattern in my life that kept me in food because... Well, someone else was in charge anyway. At least someplace inside me, I could get off the hook by letting somebody else make the decision. And I did that with work situations. I looked for institutions. Someone uh, shared about, about work situations. I looked for institutions that were the whole banana, if you will. Everything was you were fully taken care of. The... Uh, the health, you know, uh, what do they call those, you know, uh, benefits and everything, first class. Everything is covered. All you pay is 50 cents, and everything will be taken care of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And 
now I got to a place, and this, I believe, is the gift of recovery, where, one, I got to an institution where they asked me to take a particular position, and I was able to say to them, you know, I am interested, but I cannot take it under those conditions. And they said, well, what about? You know, what do you mean? And I went through and explained. I said, you know, for this is this is the way it is. This is how I see it. So to honor what you're asking me to do, it would need to be in this way. So I felt I wasn't, before I would have taken the position and sabotaged it in some way to get my way and screw you anyhow type of thing because you don't really know or whatever. This is the first time I actually stood up and spoke clearly about what I believed it would be because I already had a job. I had a, a job in this place. It wasn't that I didn't have one. And I went through three interviews and told them about the change and, and, and I needed the, the name to be changed because of the significance of it and all that's a whole story. But anyway, they came back to me and they said, we'd like you to take the position, which was better paying, but we're not going to change the name. I said, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know this is not the job for me, which was my higher power in my life because before I would not have done that. The money would have said, go for it. Um, my manipulating mind would have said, you can screw them anyway. You know, you'll get, you can make it whatever way you want or something or they'll, they'll have to put up with you or something like that. And I felt that was not clean. It's what I've done so often in my life, like as um, manipulating and sabotaging and whatever. And so finally they came back and said that the name would be changed. And, and so I walked into it clean, frightened, yes very frightened because now I was in my own space where my own truth was could I carry it out because I didn't have to manipulate I didn't have to hide I didn't have to stay under the radar I was right out there and I believe I honored it and followed it and walked it through uh, and recently I made a decision about moving on and doing, going into another uh, life situation that has a scary quality to it, but that I'm ready for because it's about letting my higher power take care of things that I cannot take care of. And letting life come to me when, when, when uh, Kim talked about, uh, you know, the abundance of life. When I first learned about the abundance of life, I said, well, what do you mean, you know? We're poor or whatever. I mean, it was like, you know, you only get 25 cents worth. No one's ever going to give you more than 25 cents worth. So you get this kind of narrow mentality about life. You know, you're only going to get this much. So don't ever think of anything more because that's selfish and I don't know what all. And, you're, and my life just got narrower and narrower. And now I work to have my arms open and my heart open and my mind open so life can come, so the abundance of life can come. And I'm still learning about what that means. And... Um, that's the important thing is to stay open to life. So my invitation to you is stay awake. Please don't go back to sleep and the steps will keep you awake. The whole idea of the steps is uh, with step 12, it says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. So the idea is I've been working them and I'm awake. Then the assumption is, or hopefully the belief is, that I'm going to stay awake by continuing to work the steps and have a sponsor who will call me on my stuff 
and maybe at least one or two other people who I'm able to tell my truth to. People who I know will not put me down. People who I know will, um, will respect me and honor me on this journey, which is unique to each one of us. But together, that's, that's what I love about this. The OA promised Roseanne's prayer is that it's about doing it together. They claim even the serenity prayer used to be plural in its origins. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but somebody told me that recently. I thought that was kind of novel, you know, that, that it was grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. It's n- this is not an individual deal. It's an us deal, which feels scary in the beginning because I've always lived separated and isolated, and I can't tell you anything about me because you're going to use it against me. That was my belief system. You know, what will the neighbors think? Well, my God, while we're all worried about the neighbors, they moved on, bought new houses, and, you know, live in classier neighborhoods, and we'll still worried about what they think, and they don't even remember who we are. You know, but a lot of us live with those kind of messages, at least I have for a long time. So I've decided to leave the neighbors in peace and not worry about what they think and uh, continue my own journey and staying here. So I want to thank you all for being here. This is about um, my staying uh, abstinent, which I have I mentioned. I've been in the program since 1989. I have an abstinence since 1999. It took me a long time to get it. And I'm still getting it. And a lot of days I don't get it. But I ask you, please don't leave. That sanity comes little by little by little. Thank you. So I'm going to take over. Jerry had to leave. Um, Okay. This meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the tape release form, um, and please sign up before you pitch. And uh, this session ends at, hold on. This session ends at 2.15. Um, so whoever wants to come up and pitch, I guess we could form a line right on the side here. Hi, I'm Heidi Simple's Love Reader. I just suddenly got nervous. Um, so this is, it's been really great. Thank you all so much. And I just wanted to pitch for um, trudging the road. Um, this the past couple of weeks have been um, just really. It felt like one of my darkest moments over the past couple of weeks. I felt like I was in a lot of despair and just sort of everything was just really hard all at the same time. Money, work, home, school. Um, So it was one of those things that I just felt like it's really hard right now. I've been through fear. I don't think I can feel anymore. It's not getting better. It's never going to get better. I'm going to meetings. I'm talking to my sponsor. You know, um, a little bit of self-pity in there, but just just sort of immense fear. And I just want to pitch for trudging through it. Because, in fact, it really does pass. And 
it was, it felt so painful, like, really, I, I really do think that at times that fear will kill me. Um, and I really do think that checking out in any number of ways is the answer. And if it's not food, it's going to be money and or reading any number of things, and I will use it to check out. So what worked for me um, is I continued to talk about it with appropriate people. I continued to pray about it. Uh, I talked about it with my sponsor. I talked about it with program friends. And sometimes I called the same people two, three times a day, every day. Um, there was some acting as this in there. And, there, you know, and I made some, I guess I would call them mistakes. You know, I did some stuff at work. I behaved unprofessionally at one point. Um, and spoke about something that I shouldn't have. And, you know, I may or may not have to go back and make amends for it. Um, one of the amends to myself is really just to forgive myself for that and for not doing it perfectly. Um, and I continued to go to meetings, and I, and I prayed for the willingness. You know, I asked my higher power, um, help me see the situation through your eyes. Help me to learn what it is that you want me to learn from this situation. Um, and I'm not, I don't like fear to last more than like, you know, an hour. And that's like, and that's pretty unbearable. I'm an addict. I don't like to feel feelings. You know, fear, abundance. I mean, it all pretty much comes down to fear. But so, um, anyway, I just want to say that it does pass. And I did reach out and God took care of me. And I'm still here. And if I would have eaten over it, there's no saying that I wouldn't have continued to eat because that's what I did for like 20 years. And if that's the case, sure as, you know what, I wouldn't be here today because I'd rather be, you know, I'd be home and feeling ashamed and miserable. So, anyway, thanks. Hi, I'm Sharon Dink and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and um, I want to thank all three of you because I have to date it. Um, because all three of you spoke to different aspects. And um, the concept of trudging the road to me is uh, it's just paradoxical, like everything else in program. If I admit I'm powerless, I get sanity. Happy birthday. Um, and one of the things that really struck me is that by, that that if I trudge, and thank you for the definition, but when I think of trudging, I feel like this just I feel like I'm trying to swim in a pool of jello, okay, that I just have to really work hard. And the one thing I've learned is um, that if I do that trudge, it says that trudge will be the road to happy destiny. And so what I get is happy destiny. And as, um, as you said, you know, for me, it's the good stuff that's the hardest stuff for me to take. Um, I'm real, real comfortable with the negative because that's, that's what kept me as a compulsive overeater. That's, you know, that was just safe territory. And um, my life today is very rich and it's very full and uh, I have a great, wonderful, loving relationship and then we go to a different program for that and there I also trudge the road and it is a happy destiny. And the one thing that's given me the courage to do all that is saying that I'm powerless over food and that my life had become unmanageable, showing up so I can be taught how to make my life manageable and then realizing I can put down the fork and pick up the map that tells me how to follow the road to happy destiny. And I will say that in a very literal, literal sense, yesterday was literally being on a road, a trudge, 
to the road of Happy Destiny. Three and a half hours from San Francisco to Sacramento doesn't cut it for me. But here I am. And um, that really did feel like the charge. And this is what it's about. It's about no matter what we do on the outside, it's about being safe and sane and comfortable in my skin and in this world. And I want to thank you guys for giving me all that comfort and strength because you've done it when my higher power had to be every voice in this room. So thanks. I'm Ann, a compulsive overeater, and very happy to be here. Um, thank you, Eddie, for your share. It was so good to hear Kim again and Nick again. And from the back, I don't see too well, even with I had to take my glasses off. But if Kim didn't cry, I wouldn't have thought it was her. <laughs> and I understand that because being around these rooms, I came in in 1981 in June and about Two months later, I was absent, lost 40 pounds by the following uh, year, and uh, but I consider my absence two years later because when I was two years in the program, I did some experimenting for a short time, and so I say I have about you know 21 years of absence, and it's uh, trudging this road. I like that walking purposely because that's what I've done physically. I climb mountains. I still do it. I have to do it less because of my knees and my arthritis, but I still climb mountains and up and down the Sierras and love it. belong to a few hiking clubs. And emotionally, I've been through so much trudging this, this road. And one of the things that's come up recently for me is when we talk about fear because the only thing I thought I feared was earthquakes. But it's it's just hitting me so clear the last six months or so, uh, special fears, because, see, the way I grew up, I was supposed to be adult enough to have everything, married at 19, all these kids, a husband, you know, I handled it all, but and I had no fear, right? Well, I really did, but it just, I just wouldn't allow it to come forth. Well, there's a lot of things I see now that I'm fearful about, you know. So that's my emotional part. And uh, thank God for the spiritual part of the program. It gets me into that 24-hour period, you know, when I'm afraid, you know, I'm going to Tahoe tomorrow. Is that granddaughter going to have a grand mal seizure like she had this morning? Um, I just have to put it in that box and think everything's all right uh, for the rest of the day and ask God. I call my higher power God uh, to help me get through that. And I can't thank you enough. This was great. Hi, I'm Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. For once, I actually walk up with notes in my hand. It's kind of exciting. Um, And no, I'm not going to lecture forever up here, so don't worry. Um, I, I just got so much out of the three speakers. Thank you so much. I'll be making quotes, but I won't be, like, cross-talking. Um, just going to read some of the blurbs I got because it was just so powerful to me in case you need to hear it again. It says, stay, stay awake. Steps will keep you awake. Work the steps to stay awake. Sponsor who will call me on my step and a few friends who know my truths. And in parentheses, I put Judy's support network because today I do have that. I do have a food sponsor. I do have a step sponsor. I do have 
someone who takes my 10th step every day. I do have a therapist who is wonderful and part of this program. Um, and when I'm going through the rough times, I will sit and, you know, email all five of them and go, this, oh, and that's away friend as well. You know, um, it's, a, it's a support network for me, and so is this program. Um, letting abundance in my life, um, abundance of life can come. I need to hear that because I, I'm still, after 15 years of this program, feeling like the other shoe's going to drop any time now. Um, and it usually does because I probably will it that way. Um, important to walk it, walk, walk it clean. Clearly ask for what, 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 what uh, speaker wanted. And I needed to hear that. Um, the word clean just popped out at me. I, I, you know, I manipulate and I whine and I do all of these things. And I don't know how to communicate clean. So I'm here for that too. Um, you know, looking at what can keep me asleep and waking up is a challenge. Um, you know, and then the whole issue about blaming others if they're the ones who are supposed to know what I do, that was me before this program. Um, and I'm so grateful that I have you all to remind me that, you know, other people, other things other than my higher power are not my higher power. Um, a couple other tidbits. Um, my mind is not my friend. I never go in there alone, which was some I heard this morning. Uh, pray to God to relieve me of the bondage itself. That was another pearl. Um, lastly, I don't know if I have this right, but compulsive obsessives in the brain, you know, normal people, they two things will click. With obsessive compulsive people, they just keep missing. Um, and lastly, uh, you know, God, I, I, I ran up to my room at, at the lunch break. Because as a compulsive overeater, I had a refrigerator in my room, and the only reason why I didn't check out first thing this morning after I packed all my stuff was, heaven forbid, i got to keep it in the fridge so it stays nice and cold. Um, so I, I did a prayer to God and, and listed a lot of things. And God, today I surrender or surrendered drama, pride, and fear of the weight loss I've, I've had recently. So thanks. My name is Evan, Compulsor Eater. It's great to be here. Thank you guys for the three of you sharing. It's wonderful. So I'm standing up here reminded of the beginnings of OA in Framingham, Massachusetts. I started OA in 1989 um, and now 30 pounds heavier than when I first came in after the past couple of years of in and out and taking my will back and Something struck me listening to one of you, and that was what I used to hear uh, back in Boston where I began. I think it was Ruth. She used to say, don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. Even if your ass falls off, don't eat. If it falls off, bring it to a, pick it up and bring it to a meeting. And that's kind of just trudging the road for me. It's like, just don't eat, get to a meeting, work the program. And it's just I'm just reminded of the, the back to the simple basics which I daily need to remember. You know, I want to rest on the laurels Oh, I've had a few years, and I don't have to do that anymore. And I'm just here to say, 15 years later, that the same basic principles still work. And 
I need to keep going to meetings. I need to keep an open dialogue with people in my circle and program. Uh, and just, you know, I'm here. It's like, did I want to come here? Not really, you know. Uh, but I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful to be receiving the gift of all the other recovery that's just around with everybody else here at this convention. So thanks again, and I'm grateful. Thank you. Sorry, that's all the time we have. Um, so it is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers again. And please stand where you are, and after a moment of silence, join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity.